episode 51. Ethical pitfalls lawyers should avoid on social media. My conversation with Bethany Pay, Law Pay's Cloud Deco. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. Our next guest is Claude DeClos. Claude is an attorney in private practice and director of education, ethics, and compliance at AffiniPay Law Pay. Over the years, Claude has authored, co-authored, and appeared in more than 100 ethics articles and videos for lawyers on issues as diverse as office management, conflicts of interest, and grievance, prosecution, and defense. Enjoy. Claude, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Michael. Happy to be here. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, tell us, what is your current tech setup? But let me give you about 15 seconds of background. I'm a lawyer who's been practicing 40 years. And so learning all this tech stuff has been th this learning curve because we don't like learning stuff like that. And so I have had to turn to people like you and podcasts like you and, and tech savvy people. So, but it's been a great learning experience. So what I have, of course, let me just do what I always do. I have a great computer and I have two big screens that it's hooked up to. I have separate ways to sound output, either speakers or through something else. I have a pair of earphones and a microphone if I need it. I also have a secondary better mic if I need it for specific things. If they want to make a, only make a professional recording, I'll, I'll use a Yeti or a Snowball rather than that. And of course, I have access to wonderful printers that are both color and black and white that I can manipulate from the computer. I don't have to go to the machine. I can change the paper and, and things like that. Most importantly then, my phone system is VOIP. It goes through the the same internet protocol. So that allows it to be hooked up to a, an answering system that then appears on, on my computer. I guess I'm probably leaving something out, but ask me any questions you want and I'll well, I'm going to get into the nitty gritty a little bit. Who makes your computer? Yes, I have. Well, when I go on the road, I take a MacBook, which has a terabyte of, and it has all, because I have 41 different presentations. And so when I'm traveling around the country, giving them in person, I don't want to worry about, oops, did I forget to put this mm -hmm. latest presentation? So they're automatically copied to that. I take that with me and it's very easy to use, but I use a Windows-based Dell computer, but, and I, I was the last one here in my office to get rid of the tower computer, the okay. old uh, desktops. Now it is a laptop, but it's a laptop with the, the capacity of a locomotive. Again, it has a terabyte. It has, mm -hmm. in fact, it's fairly new, but it has enormous amount of RAM, which makes everything very easy. And I can move documents around on it. So, yeah. well, I, I got two questions from there. One, do you have a program that you use to sync files, say, between the two computers or something to the cloud? Yes. Well, I, my office out of the main offices of LawPay here in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. and they do it. I, I believe they have a, a, a main shared Google Drive. Now, okay. there is, a, but I have to be special because I'm the only one here who has client files. 
So they do not, I I can put my cli- my files if mm-hmm. I want on the Google Drive, but they cannot reach my computer. I've got a firewall between. Okay, them, yeah. So they, they can't uh, access Claude Clue's files, but I can access LawPay's files. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's, that's, the, that's a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. I also have to ask, so you got a Mac, yep. you got a Windows machine. Yep. Which of the two do you like better? I knew you were going to ask that. Well, I have to admit, one of my law partners that I practiced with for 26 years, he always used a Mac-based system, and he'd used all those various versions of them. And we all said, I, I will never learn how. I will never do that. But I got my first Mac notebook, I think about 2009, and I embarrassingly fell in love with it. So <laughs> I do like very much. I still think I'm better on a Windows-based system, but okay. I'm getting very, very good on the Mac system. And now that everything is solid state and you don't have to wait for the whirring of the, the the hard drive to, it's very easy to use both of them. I think, gosh, I, I really like the Mac. I don't want to have favorites because your children will hate you if you say that. <laughs> but I like both of them very much for what they do. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I won't pin you down too hard. I will encourage you to check out a podcast called Mac Power Users. Yes, okay, Mac you'll Power see- Users. Yep. Great, great podcast about using Macs. It's run by David Sparks and Steve Hackett. And they it's free. It's online. Any of your if your podcast feeds, you can find it. Again, it's Mac Power Users. And David Sparks is a former attorney now. He had been a practicing attorney for I think a couple of decades. And then he became a content developer through his Mac Sparky site. So well, that that's wonderful. I can tell you in your listening audience too, I'm a huge fan of podcasts mm-hmm. uh, I probably listen to four or five a week usually okay. early in the morning I take hour and 15 minute walks and I there I have my favorites and they're just absolutely wonderful and I learned a lot from my children and from you younger lawyers and that is you can fix just about anything by going to YouTube yes so, yes it's absolutely amazing from replacing it's hysterical. A, uh, it, it's absolutely from fixing a washing machine to replacing a battery in a Mercedes. You can you can look at YouTube and find out how to do it. Well, well I have to ask, what are your three favorite podcasts? Well, they're usually because I speak, you understand that maybe your audience doesn't understand. I'm a huge national CLE speaker, if he does say so himself. When I say that, I give about 120 uh, CLEs a year. Now, oh. it was easier to do that many when I was doing it by Zoom during the pandemic. I will probably only get to a hundred this year because I'm actually getting on airplanes and going to Atlanta and Maine and Vancouver and Los Angeles. I'm going to Los Angeles and then uh, to Houston. So, so you can't do as many if you're not doing Maryland on Monday, Pittsburgh on Tuesday, right. San Francisco on Wednesday when you're actually moving there. But because of that, there are so many wonderful intellectual podcasts that I I bleed into my that I, I give attribution all the time where I got this from. But I love the Hidden Brain. I love Radio Lab. I love, and then I lo- love silly ones like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I I don't think I've missed one of those for 20 years. And uh, but there are always then people send me just like you send me to to this site and that site. So I have probably 20 different types of podcasts on, and I still have an old iPad that I. <laughs> that I load them down onto because it was a, a late model odd pilot and it still works fine. So why mess with success? 
So what is your podcast aggregator? Apple, they usually carry all of them. Uh, I'm not sure that I use anything other than Apple. I might, but somebody sends me a link and it goes someplace else, I'll do that. Take a look at a, a podcast reader, I should say a podcast aggregator called Overcast. Overcast, all right, I'm writing this down. It, it's pretty good, it's pretty powerful. I've used it for five, six, seven years. Okay, Overcast. So going on your list of tech stuff, you said you have two screens on your computer there yes. in your office. Do you have a particular maker? Let me look. They're both Dell. I think you, that they they mass purchase. And and you under Dell is right here in Austin. So we right. used to have a Dell outlet where you could just get in the car and drive there and pick up stuff. You didn't have to order it online. If they're 4K, if they're 1081. I do not know. If you could tell me how to find out, I'll put wait, wait. Yeah, that we go going to preferences and all that kind of stuff. We don't we don't need to do that today. Who's your webcam maker? I have I have several, but the one that I'm using right now, mm -hmm. as you and I, your listeners won't know, it's one called Creative. Although I have another, I've I've used different kinds. I have one behind me. Well, no, I think I took home. But I, I have about three or four because sometimes I do it from home, and, mm -hmm. and I also give zooms from the piano. I I did a oh. regular performance every Sunday from five to six central time for about 45 weeks during the pandemic when people were home. I would do cocktails with Claude from five to 6 p.m. every Sunday. And did you use a particular mic for those? Yeah, I used the Yeti mic okay. and it was a very clever setup. I used my, I, I recorded it up to the cloud on my MacBook. Mm -hmm. But what I had to do, because I have this wonderful grand piano, I had to experiment with the sound. What I, I ended up doing was I would I had a small amplifier under the piano, but it didn't uh, amplify the piano. It amplified my voice. So the voice came out and then blended with the, the piano and the Yeti mic. And I would get other people like you on the other side, listen to this, listen to this. And I'd move that Yeti until the, the balance was just perfect. And Excellent. Excellent. Way to do it. You also, anybody who is listening who wants to perform music on Zoom, mm -hmm. You have to turn on original sound, which is a little sound patch yep. or else, because what, what Zoom does is try to capture the loudest sound and it, it muffles the others. So before I did that, it came out terrible because if the piano was over, my voice wouldn't even sound. So you have to turn on original sound. Well, it was funny. I was attending services virtually last night. The time of the recording is on Yom Kippur. And mm -hmm. it, it, it just dawned on me that Zoom has become synonymous with broadcasting in the same sense that Xerox became synonymous with copying. You, know, you go and Xerox a couple copies. If you're having a Zoom event or if you're having a virtual event, you're, you're Zooming. And it actually was funny because the platform that was being used for services was saying, well, attend by Zoom, but it wasn't Zoom. It was actually a completely different platform designed specifically for these types of services, for religious services, regardless of your religion. And I just, just kind of caught my mind last night. It's like, Okay, so we're Zooming, but we may not be using Zoom, but we are using Zoom here. And it's become more than just business meetings, whether it's doing podcasts or yeah. doing the presentation shows that you were doing. Because you could record it. Because um, you could record it and get people to attend very easily without much uh, fanfare. Right. And it was very easy at the end of each yep. one of these cocktails with Claude, I would, you could download them. Yep. And then upload them to Vimeo. So I have all these things on, and it was very easy. And Vimeo allowed you to have, I forget what it was. It was, it was almost nothing, five or $6 a month. You could have five terabytes. Wow. Uh, it's, That's... And so I have a, a Vimeo account. 
And that's right. Because, for example, my son lives in, in Japan and we still mm -hmm. Skype. We don't Zoom, but we Skype. But I, I'm thinking, actually, we should probably Zoom. I think now I love Skype. I, I, I will never, never make fun of Skype because it was there for us when he first moved to Japan. He's with Hilton International, but he's been in Japan now 12 years. So every Sunday morning at eight o'clock our time, which is 10 o'clock at night, his time in Japan, right. we talk for an hour. And it's like he lives next door because it's, Skype is so good. But Japan is I on my he, bucket list, so I'm I'm envious of your son. Hopefully, you're going to go see him. Well, you'll have after I'll give you his address, and he loves taking people around. He is in a huge Hilton hotel there, and he loves it, and he speaks impeccable Japanese. Wow! Even though he graduated from the University of Texas, <laughs> so he speaks perfect Japanese with a Texas yeah. slang. Well, my last two questions on your list are: Who makes your printers? Oh gosh, one of the major. Uh, oh, I could probably hang on. I can probably look by pretending I'm going to print something on this. It's one of the major Aconica Minolta C658. Wow, that a is huge... that's a huge powerhouse. Oh, that's what I say. It's a, it's color printer. I feel like I have my own Kinkos here because these are wonderful printers. I, I have a simple HP. I have a simple HP black and white. But the important thing I have on mine is that it does an automatic double side. Oh. So it, so it, it saves, saves you paper, paper, saves paper, saves well, time, saves space. I'm going. I'm going to be spending a couple of months and outside the state of Texas in next next summer because of a place. So give me the the name and model of yours because I want to buy Absolutely. yours. I'm going to need a good printer. Absolutely, and this is great. Forgive me as I move away for a second just to get the number. <laughs> so I have been using HP yeah, for like me 20, 25 years, and. It is a HP LaserJet Enterprise M507. Did you say, what was the first letter? M is in Michael. M507, LaserJet. It is funny that you mentioned that because I remember when we started, this is almost the, the day we're recording, this is almost exactly 33 years ago that we started my law office with these four. Mm. And we had to take out a bank loan, mm. the four of us, to buy one of the earliest laser jet printers 1989 mm -hmm. it was $5000 wow laser we had to, we took out a bank loan together at a, a ridiculously high interest rate and that was the only thing that we we bought together but we thought boy that'll be great for the four of us to have a laser jet printer my god it did you know 10 pages a minute this one is actually a bit faster and the one i had before i had through college grad school law school, several years out, and then several years of the practice. And then after like 20 years, it just died. Oh, um, but this one's been around for like five years, I think. It was about between 550 and 350, if I remember correctly. I'm sure there might be an updated model. The, the one thing you might want to consider getting, and I haven't gotten it yet for this one, but I haven't been printing as much as I, I used to, given faxing, email, and COVID right. has kind of just stopped mailing. But- yeah. But I got it. Usually I will get an extra paper bin to put underneath. Well, I, I, now this shows how old I am because I do lots of arbitrations and mediations for mm -hmm. people. And I like to, when they send me documents, if they're important, I want to print them out and, and highlight and do all that stuff. And I know that that's old fashioned, but I can also dump them in a briefcase. And if I'm on a plane, right. I can read them there rather than trying to, I can't highlight on my computer screen. <laughs> well, I think someone needs to get you an iPad. Yeah. With the M1 chip, it's it's pretty powerful and the pencil is very nice. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Well, you you I, you could. I do I, though. I like having. I did have an iPad, and I have an an older model. But once mm. I started getting these MacBook Pros, I thought, "Ooh, I'm in love." So my last question on your list: Who's your VoIP provider? Something called Ring Central. Is that a yeah? A, yeah, Ring Central. Ring Central. Well, let's get into the questions. Okay. And for the first question, let me ask. What are three ethical pitfalls attorneys should be mindful of regarding their social media presence? Well, the first one, it's been said a million times, but I cannot say it enough. Number one, the internet's written in ink. You can't erase what you put on the internet. And we, I, I'm on the Disciplinary Rules Committee, and we just redid the whole advertising rules in Texas. We did away with all the old ones, and we have all brand new advertising rules. And we had special, we built in special exceptions for lawyers to be able to use the internet for reasonable commentary about laws or justice or entertainment or things like that without violating any of those rules. But when you do that, remember, you will be, re you will be remembered by your worst tweet or your worst mm -hmm. post. 514 wonderful, intelligent tweets. And then one night you've had that second glass of Zinfandel and you think you're being funny. And instead you come off as racist, homophobic, idiotic, or, or something like that. That's your tweet. That's your quote for all time. Remember, I give the stories of that woman, remember, who's, who was being sent by her advertising agency to South Africa. And she was on Twitter and said, I'm going to South Africa, first time. <laughs> Hope I don't get AIDS. Just yeah. kidding. I'm white. By the time she arrived in Cape Town, she mm -hmm. had been fired for I that, that and had I nothing. That. And nothing will be worse than the back fire that you get from people. Mm -hmm. you, if you can make a mistake, that's fine. But the the people who attack you can basically murder you, and they're fine because they're justified. So what should an attorney do when they find themselves in that kind of situation? They put out a tweet that or something on social media that, quite frankly, was just stupid. Right. I mean, to the degree, I mean, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They're like, OK, I, I said something stupid. I acknowledge that was just really dumb of me, but it's going to negatively affect me somehow to which the bar is going to get involved. What should what can an attorney do in a situation like that? Well, the only thing I think you can do, and of course, I don't use Twitter just because of that, because I think I'm, I do enjoy a, occasional glasses in Findel and may say something that doesn't sound what I intended it to say. It, it, the joke bombs, right? And so I, I would just say, I am so sorry to anybody who was offended. That was not my intent at all to give the impression that X was my state of mind. I thought I was being funny and occasionally I missed the mark. And I ask for your forgiveness. Now, I've written 123 columns where a, a column's called Entre Nous, and it's a it's a very humorous look at our profession, the silly things that we have mm -hmm. to do. And occasionally, I've had to mention a lawyer who I thought did something, and of course, then I've gotten the "How dare you in, insult my wife or my husband or something?" And I've always apologized that this was really a fair commentary about that, and. And I'm always, it's always somebody else's, the readers love it as long as you're goring someone else's bull. As soon right. as them, then I'm a bad writer. But I've faded that pretty well over the years. I've been doing that for 30 years now. I try not to comment so much on particular attorney's activities, although it does no. come up. 
and I did make a comment about Jeff Tubin, who I admire and respect. I, I and do too. I'm, I, I'm a very big Je Jeff. He wrote, by the way, his book, The Nine, about Supreme yes, Court, yes. one of the best books I've ever read on yes, the Supreme Yes, it was such a great compliment to the Brethren. Yep. And it just side war So story. I'm sorry, I, I diverted you. What happened about your comment with Jeff? Nothing. I mean, thankfully, I'm just saying I rarely do that. I rarely, I rarely comment someone specifically. And I didn't necessarily chastise him in the sense of you're just a bad person. It was like, hey, everyone, you really got to be uh, paying attention to what you're doing in these Zoom meetings. And you got to know your back, what's behind you, what the person can see, how you're dressed. To be blunt, if you're not wearing pants, don't stand up. There, there was a, uh, it was an ABA article on one of my prior guests, and it was talking about doing Zoom trials. And the photograph he he had was him at his standing desk wearing a, a jacket and tie and shirt, and he had like shorts on. It was for the photo, not for the the hearing. But you just gotta use some common sense because that was really what the article was about. It wasn't about Jeff Tubin. It was about be mindful of what you're doing in a Zoom hearing because just because you're home doesn't mean you can right. act like you're home. You got to yeah. act like you're in the office. Right. And and you, exactly. And uh, although I think both of us has good senses of humors, I, I would never risk that because it's so un, unchangeable. The other thing that I think lawyers need to do, not only for themselves, is to tell their clients, look, if I am representing you, we're going to go and look at your social media. We're going to mm -hmm. up your privacy settings. We can't destroy anything or take things down or mis misplace evidence. But I will not have you lose your case because you post things online. And I have a an addendum that I send to out mm -hmm. around the country saying that they signed, saying you will instruct your mother, your father, your children, your grandchildren. Nobody posts about this case, about our firm, about the opposing firm, about the opposing parties. If you do that, our firm reserves the right to withdraw from your case. I will not have you lose your case on social media. So it's interesting. I, I represent veterans in my day job, if you will, and I I'm not sure how I how I feel about that from just from their perspective. Because and I understand how like in a business and more confrontational mm -hmm. cases where you're you're suing the big corporation or it's some sort of divorce proceedings, but a lot of the veterans are just not happy with the VA and or the government for what's been going on. And well, I wait a minute. Th that's an institutional de defended uh, opposing party. I really think that's a different category. Fair you enough. are allowed reasonable right. latitude to say, I have filed this for five months. No one will return my call. Yep. All that that's that I have a totally different impression rather than somebody casting aspersions on their parentage. That guy's a bastard and things like that in a private party. But so let's let's focus back on what attorneys shouldn't be doing. On right. social media. So obviously the quip, the joke, the smart ass comment is one. What are a couple others? Oh, the general category is tweeting. Tweeting just doesn't go to the person you're tweeting. They're going to be out there forever. Sarah Her, I think, at the Kansas Court of Appeals, mm -hmm. she was she was calling this lawyer, tweeting to her friend, saying, "This guy's such a douchebag." Well, guess what? That goes out to everybody, and she's a representative of the Court of Appeals. She lost her job oh, for wow. doing that. Oh, well, that was um, stupid. I, yeah, it's just stupid. Where do you think that, that nobody's going to see what what you put on Twitter? Another, I, boy, I have more and more. Well, please go on. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, I mean, look, lawyers who take pictures with their criminal defendants in the courtroom holding up the victory sign. It's not amusing to the judge when you're taking selfies in court 
it doesn't matter that the court proceedings aren't actually going on, but they get themselves in trouble. There's about something about professionalism and civility, and it makes it, you look like you're part of the criminal enterprise. Uh, well, and, well, and well, then, well, wait, wait, if I may. So forgive me. I'm a little confused on something from my perspective. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm licensed in Barton, D.C. I've appeared with D.C. federal courts and a couple other federal courts. Cameras aren't allowed. So, yeah. so how are they taking a picture in the courtroom regardless? No, I'm saying in this particular picture, right? Okay. They they were like the lawyer and the his defendant. He's just got him off murder, okay. throwing a gang sign, and they're taking a selfie in the courtroom. The judge wasn't very happy about that. That's after it wasn't during the proceeding; it was afterwards. But then posting that on Facebook, right? The lawyer that that was not cool. If you want to be taken seriously, that that kind of stuff is is my opinion. And of course, I'm old fashioned and that's unprofessional. Well, but maybe I'm maybe I'm missing a nuance here because I thought in general cameras were not allowed in the courtroom. Oh, this was a selfie to the phone. But still, it's it's a camera. Oh, oh no, you're right. There's others where they take pictures during the the, the trial. And they go, yes, no cameras in the courtroom whatsoever. Right. Um, so so even if it's after the trial, they're still doing it in the courtroom. I mean, right. as the judge, if if I have a no camera, like I get you get you have a camera on your your smart device that you need to bring it in with you, but that doesn't give you leeway to take a picture in the courtroom. Right. That, that's sort of exactly. what I was getting at. And I, I, I would, I would have thrown the hammer at that guy. Well, and they do that. That also happens during a federal trial. There was the, the movie about the, the shorting of during a federal trial, a, a young associate was taking surreptitious pictures with his phone of the parties and the evidence laying out on the table and then posted them. And he got just slammed by the judge. What are you doing? There's the sign right there. And you can't take photographs in the courtroom. What was so, his excuse, if any? That he's a cool guy and he should be oh. able to do that. Didn't okay. work. <laughs> and then, of course, in, in our federal court, if your phone goes off, yeah, they come and the, the marshal takes it away from you and you pay $200 to get it back. Oh, wow. So, so that's, that's, that's a standing order. If your phone goes off lesson. in the courtroom, you, you're wow. going to pay. Okay, well, that, thankfully that has not happened to me, and hopefully the, it will the other, never happen. It, it's all surrounding the mistakes I see surround posting, or and it's mainly the, the trial stuff. But other, there was another person who, from the Indiana bar who had a, who just hated this particular. He was representing the wife in a divorce, and he posted something. It, if I give you the case, you could look at it because boy. He really went wild because he said, I've got the evidence now and I'm going to, let's see, fish you so hard with it, except the word wasn't fish. Gotcha. And that's what he posted. And they, the Indiana Bar didn't think that was very funny to to talk about a, a opposing litigant that way and use those four letter words. And he was in, I think he got suspended for six months. Well, I wouldn't put it in an email. I wouldn't put it in Instagram or or even a message, a text message. I mean, I just don't understand why people are just that stupid. Pardon my mind. And isn't it French. funny but that people are very shy about telling you secrets if you ask them in public, but they'll post it on Facebook like nobody's going to see it and it doesn't make a difference. No, it. it I I don't understand people sometimes, but even even lawyers, as educated as we are, make stupid mistakes. Okay, now let me talk of some practical things, though. 
that mm -hmm. I had to learn. And it's really easy. So many lawyers don't realize they might have this wonderful computer, but they haven't done a couple of things. They haven't even turned on their firewall yet. Right. They have a built-in thing. They haven't turned on the updates for yeah. all of their uh, all of their programs, firewalls, updates. They haven't privatized their their route mm -hmm. requiring a password. They just I remember very well, we had a, a very good friend who had a place in Aspen back when, you know, you used to have that card you used to put in the side. We used to just go underneath any of the condos in Aspen, Colorado, and just pick out yep. the router of our choice. They were never password protected. That's how mm -hmm. we sent emails. We just sat in my car underneath the condo building and said, well, let's see, the, there's the Browns router and there's the Smith's router and it's not password. And so you have lawyers too. That, have, that that even if theirs has a password, they don't have a separate network for guests. Mm -hmm. So once people are on, then people hackers can get into those networks. I, I will tell you the mistake. I will fall on the sword now and tell you mm -hmm. my mistake that I'm. Okay. And luckily, it did not hurt me very much, and I didn't lose money or business. But here's what happened. I'm very active in the bar. I've been the chair of, you name it, everything. Right. I was also my my homeowners association president for five years, which was a thankless job, but that means I'm going to heaven. But anyway, so I on I can tell you the exact date, October 24th, 2016 at 10 in the morning, I received an email mm -hmm. and I ignored all of my own warning signs. It said, hey, here's that complaint. And it came from my homeowners association, which was right, right. ranch homeowners. And it said, here's that complaint file we asked for you to look at. And I rolled my eyes and I said, well, I don't remember talking to anything about that, but I'm about to get on an airplane. Let me just open it. And I hit the thing and I Ouch. realized immediately it was a zip file. Mm. It was not a complaint. It was clearly downloading some sort of malware. I didn't know how to stop it. So within about 30 seconds, I simply deprived the beast of power. I unplugged right. everything. That's the only thing I could do. And again, it was the ransomware virus. And what it did, my experience, I'm sure it's been perfected by then, but my experience was that it attacked Word files first oh. before it moved on to PDFs right. and things like that. So in that 30 seconds, still, it probably destroyed 5,000 files, but most of those were Word. And what happens as a lawyer when you draft a document? You usually send it to somebody else to look at right. it. So luckily, all of those Word documents were still attached to my outgoing email server. So I was able to reconstruct it. But the long and short so that I ignored these signs. It didn't come from anybody. It didn't mention my name. It didn't mention, give me a phone number to call anybody back. It was one of these phishing emails. Mm -hmm. And I was there just ready to bite. And I've never forgotten that. So now, because of that, Anytime somebody sends me an attachment, I don't even trust that it's somebody at the front. I will call them before okay. I will say, or or they'll say, I'm about to send you this, so I know it is. But if it's somebody I haven't done business with for a month mm -hmm. who sends me an attachment, screw that. I am not opening that attachment. And I will call that person and say, Michael, did you, I haven't talked to you for a month. I just got an email with an attachment. Did you send that? And Michael's going to say to me, no, I got hacked. Don't open it. And then you get a year, a, a day later, you usually get, these things from those same people saying, hey, if you get something from me, don't open it. I just found I've been that. Well, so I got to ask, do, do you not back up your computers? Yes, I did. Okay. And here's what happened with this. I had a nice terabyte 
portable thing. I didn't realize. And I pulled a die, said, don't worry, here it is. I've got it backed up. And he said, for whatever reason, it stopped working about four months ago. Ouch. Ouch. That, that's, 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 I'm it, sorry to know, hear that. And, and it never notified me this isn't working. It's still, every time I looked, I still had this thing attached to my external drive when it was, but it, and it backed up everything every night at 10 o'clock. But this was October and said, well, it seemed to stop working like in June. Well, it's funny. You talk about unsolicited emails and sort of emails that look official. I, I have one from Meta for Business, Facebook. Yeah. And the practice is also on Facebook. And it looks pretty real. And it has you going to a facebook.com link. But I look at the where it's from, the email it's from, and it says, what does it say? It says from something, something trademark at outlook.com to which I'm like, well, that's not meta. Yeah. And so, and this yeah, is you like used this, to be this, able to just wave your mouse over the email address and you'd see it comes from dot are you. Yes. You know? Yeah. I was like, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's that's, it's just rather. So I, I have been pretty good ever since that I got my butt kicked on that to be very careful not. And I tell lawyers don't do, don't open up anything that you haven't expected or haven't heard from that person in a long time, um, unless you call them. And, and it's just, a, it's not worth the, the effort and the pain that, that I went through. So we sort of bled into the next question. What are three ethical pitfalls attorneys need to be mindful of regarding their client's social media presence? And I respect what you said earlier that you should not be texting, tweeting, commenting on public forums about your case. Right. Are there any other suggestions you might have? Well, I, I give, depending on the type of case, I try to tell them case specifically, here is how emails and here, here is how things can hurt you. You have, for example, a personal injury case, and I know you like to dance. If you post something with you in high heels at a disco, mm -hmm. we lose this case. If you post this, this sort of thing, if you mention how great you feel, they're going to use every posting against you. And you might feel great compared to how bad it was right after the operation. Right. But you, so it'll be anything. Just remember, think of how every single posting and email can be misconstrued. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's the old trick in depositions. The, the, the opposing counsel is like, say, hey, like even prefer on the record, like, Hey, how you feeling? And then like, yeah, all right. And then you get on the, on the, on the record. And it's like, so what are the injuries and how are you feeling since the car accident? I'm like, Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. This well, didn't you just tell me off the record that you're feeling fine. It's those old tricks. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is if you have something that's a very public client, said, right. assume that you are being recorded every mm -hmm. moment of the day. Because anybody who sees you, if I have a celebrity client, which I have, they're going to go, oh, look who it is. Boom. And they're going to take out their thing and record him. And there he is picking his nose or, or, or something like that. But that, that doesn't have anything to do with the law. But it just, I, I tell everybody, assume number one in a case that your, first of all, your phone calls are being surreptitiously recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that, and then, then here is the case of a true case. I was actually a, a witness trying to help this lawyer out. The, he was a very good divorce lawyer. He represented, I'll make up a guy's name, Jason, for years. Okay. Jason had a second wife. And um, he and his second wife were having a falling out. So what happens? The wife, the second wife, who had made friends with the lawyers in that office because they'd been there because he had things with his child's right. home in the first wife. So she calls intentionally 
records the conversation and keeps the paralegal on the phone for almost an hour saying, well, I feel so bad, but what should I do about child support? And ask, she's intentionally poisoning mm -hmm. this firm. And then she makes a transcription when, because she knows that Jason will be represented by this firm and she wants right. to get, they're too good and she wants to get them out of there. So she brings, this is a true story. So she gets it transcribed and files. Uh, then when they gets filed, she says, well, you can't represent him. I'm moving because I had this long conversation. And indeed it was just head smacking stupid to be talking to, to her. And so I always tell my attendees, said, mm -hmm. tell everybody in your office during case, do not engage in a conversation with anybody who is on the other side or other than to say, Mr. Clue isn't here. When do you want me to call him back? Do not give it because they will say that she, well, my long time gave you advice. She told me to do this or to file this or do not do that. Do not get us in a conflict of interest situation. So, I mean, I'd be kind of wondering why is someone recording the call for what purpose? Oh, well, she didn't know she was being recorded. The, the no, no, paralegal... No, 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 no. I understand the paralegal didn't know she was being recorded, but the fact that the the, the wife or soon-to-be ex-spouse was recording the call. I mean, did that come up during her no, motion she, to remove the she counsel? She brought it to the transcription of right. the call right. to the court right. and said, look at what we talked about. This conflicts them out. I asked them for advice on this, and here's what she told me. And I told her that I looked at the uh, attorney general childhood charts. This is, no, you're looking at the wrong charts. You need to be looking at these charts. Ha, huh, there's good advice on how what she should find out. But the fact that, that she recorded it and had it transcribed, didn't the judge gonna go, what are you doing? It looks like you're yeah, setting no, them no, up. Clearly. And that and I was okay. I, I was the attorney and I said, look, this is clearly entrapment. Right. She did this intentionally and and actually had and actually the paralegal was just trying to be nice, but she was doing other work. Yeah, I guess so. All right. So so it wasn't one of these intense conversations. But what the judges do in any, and, and I cannot fault the judge. I think he could have easily overruled the motion to disqualify. But he says, look, we are told in judge school to bend over backwards to, to make sure, look, this, Jason can go get other counsel. I, I think I've got Scott to grant this because they, they uh, an hour conversation is too long. Uh, well, I, I'm empathetic, but it does sort of hint at something else that, for instance, when you're on Facebook, that if you post something, even if it's just to your friends, there's always the possibility that it could get out or it could somehow come up in discovery. Have you talked about the case? Well, yeah, I've talked about it with some friends on Facebook. We want a copy of that. Oh, yeah. And whether you're, if you're out in public, you can be recorded. Well, let me give you another Facebook post Please. that resulted in, in in problems and and another one that got disbarment. But one was, so I talked about the defense attorney in a criminal case. The other one was a district attorney and the lead investigator holding up shotguns and AR-15s and, and for a funny picture for Facebook that she posted saying, you better take the plea. And, and they were- That was not and, funny. That was, well, it was intended to be funny. Like we look at our guns. If you don't take it, what's going to happen to you? Well, the, again, the judge did not find that very funny, very unprofessional and apologies were. Now, the other one was a, this was in Louisiana and it resulted in a, a disbarment. I think it's salvatory. Anyway, this was a guy was an assistant U.S. attorney who, who wrote letters to the editor and everything in, in pseudonyms and posted stuff all over the place in pseudonyms, just chastising 
judges and lawyers and everything like that. But of course, his identity came out and the Louisiana Supreme Court of all places, which you think might, so was, was outraged and, and took away his law. Salvatore Perricone was his name, P-E-R-R-I-C-O-N-E. Look at that case. He got disbarred because he had made so many posts in a pseudonym. And when his identity was discovered, he said, you're not protected. This was un unprofessional conduct. That's interesting. And how do you deal with clients that are like, hey, look, this is my First Amendment right. I'm allowed to write and post whatever I want. You can't do this to me. Has that come up? No, no, because I make it clear. Look, I got to be the captain of the ship. Uh, you can tell me what you want, but I, and anytime I'm representing you, I, I have enough experience to realize what we need to do. And this is the way we're going to do it. If you want to go on my boat, you're going to wear a life raft. You're not going to say, well, I'm a good swimmer. I'm No, you're going to do it my way. And if you don't, go get another lawyer. No hard feelings. I've said that many times. I've said it recently as two months ago. And it was a fairly, and I said, if, if you're not going to do it my way, there's no hard feelings. I don't need the work. You go get somebody else. But if you're going so, to do it, I would. So not necessarily with your firm or your practice, but have you ever heard like someone filing a bar complaint saying, and he made me sign this provision denying me of my my first amendment rights i'm not saying no. it's a i'm not saying it's a legitimate complaint i'm just saying that i haven't heard i think one of the but you brought up another topic no i haven't heard of any bar complaints being mm -hmm. filed saying because it's your right not to use me you're not forced right. to use me but right. the the other thing that i think the lawyers need to watch out about is this many times and i i say this with love in my heart that if you call your state bar disciplinary counsel's office, whatever it is, mm -hmm. or whatever it's run by the Supreme Court, for advice, very often, shh, don't tell anyone their advice is terribly wrong. They, <laughs> they don't understand the statutes. They don't understand what they're talking about. And it can lead to big problems. So make sure you get, and, and even the one here in Texas has a disclaimer saying, well, you can't, yeah, call in the, the ethics line, but you can't depend on what they say. Well, it's like calling the IRS. Why am I going to call you if you're going to give me bad advice? Right. But I think people say, well, it's at least somewhat prophylactic that you gave me this advice if I, if something goes wrong. Anyway, I could give you lots of examples of that. But So let's move on to our last question. Okay. What are your three favorite war stories when it comes to attorneys and or clients using social media incorrectly? Well, I think I probably told you it's the, the court clerks or the DAs who get themselves in trouble and get themselves losing a job. There was another one in the Eastern District of Texas in the mm -hmm. AUSA who made terribly racist comments and called like Obama, Dolly Obama, whatever, right. and all that stuff. Well, he lost his, he lost his job. And so it was, and there was a, anyway, those, those things, it, it makes me shy away. The, the Sarah Hare, the, the Kansas attorney, yep. the guy who used the four letter word in a posting, the, the people who post surreptitiously and get caught. It's written in ink. You cannot change what you've put up there. So all of those things, boy, I know I'm, I'm missing a, a couple more because I, I have lots, of, I've looked at a lot of these cases, people that post something that clearly means that they're practicing law wrong. Like, well, I just borrowed a few thousand from my trust account because I needed to make payroll. Don't worry, I'm going to earn it within 15 days. Well, no, <laughs> you've now a big no -no. violated that. You've now violated the trust account rules. Let me ask you this. You talk about how you keep off of Twitter and attorneys are using social media more and more to advertise. 
Yes. Just like everyone else. But Twitter could be deemed as one of those media platforms that you want to advertise on. Mm -hmm. So are there ones that you favor versus others? Yeah, I think lawyers all have Facebook pages now too. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ones who are savvy, everybody has a, even I have a website, although I never attend to it. And I post articles I've written that people can right. download and things like that and my resume and things like that. So I, that's the only way you get in touch with people anymore. And one of the things we did with our with our rules is said, we love your blog. Go ahead and, and blog all you want. If you're a great a labor lawyer, we want to read those. I like those blogs, but don't turn it into an ad by saying at the end, and for more information, call me at such and such a number. Then you turn it under Texas law into an ad. Instead, guess what? They'll be able to find you with the Google. Right. You don't need to put your number and name out there. I'm Michael Eisenberg and I practice in this town. And this is a passion of mine to look at this, da, 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 da. And here's my opinions. That's all you have to do. You're, they'll find you. I don't have a good feeling about what's the best thing. I think things that make you come up, I guess, in a, in a Google search are good. That being said, everyone has Google My Business or Google Business or whatever the platform's called now. And unfortunately, you're going to get a bad review, whether it's legit yes. or if it's just some idiot or somewhere in between. How would you respond or not respond to a bad or poor Google review? I'm one of those who thinks that you still need to respond to it somehow because silence in, in an attorney-client relationship by the attorney is almost an admission that that's right. So you have to do it correctly. I think you need to respond. And what I would do, there are some wonderful bar opinions, but mm -hmm. one of the best ones was from the Philadelphia bar. And it showed what you do because what you say basically is this, and I'm paraphrasing the, because of the constrictions of the attorney client relationship, I am not at liberty to respond to this because it could break attorney client confidence. You can rest assured that we do not agree with how this case was described by Mr. Jones. Now, I saw even a better, they have exact wording like that, that you should follow. But I, I saw something but I thought was even better and that he added, and we have reached out to Mr. Jones and invited him to come and review his file with us. He has thus far refused. You can say that without violating confidentiality. And that means in my mind that Mr. Smith is the jerk because we're saying, come in. Let's look at your file together and you won't come in. All right. Well, we can't fight you on social media without violating rules. So we want the public to know that. Excellent. Excellent. Hopefully you could send us those site links and we'll put them in the show notes. Claude, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Where can people find you? The easiest way to get in touch with me for anything you need, and I have tons of forms and tons of presentations, et cetera, is simply Claude at LawPay. Dot com. That's where I get my all my CLE email, and it's a very vibrant email address. I'll tell you, Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at LawPay, L-A-W-P-A-Y.com, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And, and again, Michael, thank you. This has been great fun talking to you. Likewise, and I hope to have you back on again. My pleasure. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.Page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.Page. Have a great day and happy lawyering.
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.